Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to make them, how to get them made and how to try not to F it up. In our very, very humble opinion, I'm Jos Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And I'm delighted to tell you that today's episode is with the fantastic David Tarleton, who made the brilliant feature film Hunter. We sit down over Skype and discuss how you build suspense when making an indie film. How do you make edge of the seat drama? How do you deal with trauma and loss uh, and blood-soaked action? How do you deal with cage fighting and homelessness and make a dark emotional piece of brilliant indie filmmaking? And also, if your film has vampires in it, should you call it a vampire film? Should you release that? Should you let people know or let them know it's a surprise? And is it cool to make a cross-genre indie film? All that to come on this week's Filmmakers Podcast with our brilliant guest, David Tarleton. Ah, so some news. Uh, The Dare, my feature film that I wrote and directed, I wrote it with Johnny Grant and I directed it on my own, uh, produced by Julian Kostoff, who has been on the podcast many times as a guest. We are going over to Popcorn Frights for the World premiere in Miami in under two weeks' time. So next week... It'll be under a week away. And the week after, ooh, am I going to do a live one from Popcorn Frights from the world premiere itself? <gasps> who knows? If anyone is, who knows, because I don't know yet. Um, if anyone is in Miami, in Fort Lauderdale, and going to Popcorn Frights, please turn up. Come and see us. Uh, come and enjoy my film and give us some feedback. I can't wait to hear what people think. It's been a long, old-ass journey of getting to this stage with so many mountains to climb uh, when you're trying to make a film and get it ready. And I think if we didn't have this deadline of Popcorn Frights, I'm not sure it would be ready right now. There's a lot of people you need to ask to get things done, deliverables, titles, um, grade, VFX, all that has to work in sync and it has to be brought at the right time for someone to put it all into a lovely little DCP and send it off to the festival within their festival deadline. Uh, as you filmmakers out there who know about that, it is tough, it's not easy. So we've got all that to contend with whilst I am casting and setting up King Arthur, my feature film coming up, which I'm shooting in September, October, and I can't wait. So I've got, I'm doing casting, I'm doing location hunting, all sorts of stuff. And plus, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, the film I produced for Staten Cousins Row and Poppy Row, and it is at Fright Fest on the 24th, 24th of August. So if you're in London, head to Fright Fest. Come see us, it's going to be amazing. 1pm, 24th. So recently we've been collaborating with the brilliant people at ScreenCraft and we've been telling you about their drama screenplay competition which is open to feature films right now. So if you've got a brilliant drama and do make it brilliant, do check it with your friends, do check it with anyone else and make it the best it can be before you send it out. But if you're ready, if you think you're ready and you want to find a producer, you want to find some investment, you want to find a director and actors and get your film made, then this is a brilliant place to showcase your writing. People from Fox Searchlight, look at it, Paramount and many other studios. Uh, Past winners have gone on to sign with major agencies and management companies too. So, uh, the deadline is August the 31st. The link is in the show notes. Uh, It's the film Screenplay 2019 Screencraft Drama Screenplay Competition. Uh, so go to screencraft.org, have a look at that. Again, link is in the show notes. Okay, so Rain Dance are doing an upcoming Taster Day on Saturday the 31st of August. Similarly, the same date 
That is the deadline for this drama. Screenplay competition from Screencraft, the 31st of August. It is 11am at the Raindance Film Training Centre, and it's a taster day. And you, you lovely people, can get in for free. You want to go to get in for free and learn exactly what Raindance do? There's a networking session where you can build your filmmaking contacts. You can speak to many other filmmakers, and you can find that screenwriter, find that director, and you can collaborate, because... I really truly believe that your best work comes from collaboration. Go speak to people. That's how shit happens. So, Raindance Training Centre. It's a taster day, Saturday the 31st of August, 11am. You want to go? You can get in for free through us. Discount code is OPENPODCAST19 when booking at the checkout. It's free. Links in the show notes. Head there. Okay, finally, I want to give a huge shout out to Robbie McCain. Not only is he editing and producing this podcast, which is a bloody nightmare this week because both my um, H6 this end and David's that end cut out. So fair play to you, Robbie. Thank you. And honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you've done for me this week and last week. You've been a godsend. It's really, truly, I cannot thank you enough, so thank you. Follow at Robbie McCain, everyone else. This guy's going places. Follow him. Do it now before it's too late. And if you want to collaborate with him, which people are already, by the way, he's making shit because of his collaborations at the Make Your Film event. So get on his coattails now. Speaking of the Make Your Film event, gosh, I nearly forgot. September the 3rd is our next outing for the Make Your Film event. Myself and Dom Noir has pretty much announced it. We haven't really announced it, but I'm saying it now because it'll be announced this week. September the 3rd, put it in your diaries. The last four have sold out. Uh, so you want to get in there first. And if you get in there first, I think it's, you get a bit of a discount. Uh, remember, if you do like this podcast, tell your mates. That's how the word spreads. We've done 117 of these now. And there's so much knowledge and info for you as filmmakers to go out there and make your film. And you can do it. You really can make it happen. And interestingly, we're having a guest coming on very soon who did listen to this podcast a year and a half ago and got inspired and went out and made a film because of it. Michael Atkinson, and he made the feature film Outback Mike, all on his own, out in the outback. And I mean, all on his own. Did all the camera, did all the sound, did the drone work, everything on his own. It's a brilliant story and I can't wait to share that with you. Uh, Also, do follow us uh, at Filmmakers Pod, me at Giles Alderson and spread the word like I say. And if you really like this, if you really like this, if you want to be kind today and you're listening on your mobile app, you're just wandering on the street, you're, you're on the tube, go to iTunes and give us a nice review. Why not? Give us a five star and why not tweet us? Literally send a tweet saying, I'm listening to your podcast. I'd love that. Um, okay, so let's get to it. This week's podcast with the fantastic David Tarleton. We talk about his brilliant indie film, Hunter. Enjoy this week's Filmmakers Podcast. It's my absolute delight to welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast the fantastic director and producer and writer, David Tarleton. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Do you know what? I am actually really good. It's a Saturday evening in London. I've been to an event, had a lovely time, and I'm just writing up some scripts, and now I have to chat to you on this podcast, and that is a delight for me. So yeah, all is good <laughs> at this That's end. That's awesome. What about you? What, what's oh, happening in your end? Um, I, I'm great. You know, we're, uh, it's, it's the afternoon in Chicago here. I'm in, I'm in Chicago, and uh, we're having nice. a heat wave. Uh, across the wow. U.S., so I'm trying to stay indoors because it's a. Li- I think the heat index was um, 114 degrees today, or something like that. So, so. oh my! 
Now, you've been making stuff for a while. You've got your production company with your wife, Adria. And, you know, you, you do all sorts of stuff. Theatre, new media, you know, film and TV side of stuff, documentaries. Yeah, a, a web series. What was it about that that you said, let's set up our own production company? Because a lot of people are very scared of doing it it's easier to piggyback on other people's but to go no we're doing this on our own what was the thought process behind that well you know uh so adrian and i we started in 2004 with tarleton dog yeah. and so that's wow that's 15 years now and um in yeah. fact we we start we we were friends we were really close friends and oh, um, okay. we were both in we were in la that, this is good and yeah. um Working on various things, you know, she's primarily an actor, but also a writer and director and producer, mm -hmm. and we do all these things together. But um, we, we decided we wanted to do a play. So the first thing we actually did collaboratively was a play, and it was around that time that we actually started dating. So we our collaboration actually predates uh, our dating and getting married and all of those kind of things. Wow. So That's I actually, quite, I, 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 like I have it. to say, at the point at which we got married. Um, we just ran it like any production. We just produced it. We're like, okay, well, we got to, you know, what are the, we got to get <laughs> the costumes your and the sets, and the, you know. Because I think it's nice when you've got that team. You've got someone with you who Absolutely. can create stuff with you. I've got a couple of friends who are husband and wife teams. We've both been on the podcast, that and uh, and Poppy Cousins Row, and also Matthew and Tori about the heart. And it's really interesting to talk to them about that relationship and how that works. And it's kind of nice. Because you, you do everything together, right? I mean, you tell me from your side. Yeah, we do everything together. You know, different projects come from different places. But I'd say, you know, we've done so many projects together at this point that we really sort of know how each other work. And we're um, yep. really good at, at sort of, I don't know, we just communicate well. And it's sort of like, okay, she's going to take care of these things. I'm going to take care of these things. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about these things. But these other things we don't even necessarily need to talk about because we trust each other to be able to sort yes. of take care of those. So so yeah, even like the producing, because nice. we produce stuff together, it's like, okay, I know that I need to make, uh, worry about the gear and the crew. And, you know, it's like here's the things that I know I end up having to worry about. And then she's more concerned with, uh, uh, I don't know, other pieces of, you know, cast stuff. And we just sort of organically uh, end up breaking up the responsibilities between us. In terms of you as a filmmaker, uh, obviously you've gone on this, this big journey to create, you know, as far as I was trying to work out whether Hunter was your debut feature, it didn't say it anywhere, but I read somewhere that you'd actually made a feature before that, but then I couldn't find it. Because Hunter is a fantastic film, and we will talk about that in depth, but I wanted to talk about, you know, the journey for you getting there. Well, Hunter is my first feature as a director. I was a producer yep, yep. and director on a television series called Dark Secrets, and I've done yes. web series, and I uh, worked as an editor for a long time and a producer-editor, and um, worn a lot of hats in those ways. Uh, I've also um, done, you know, feature documentaries and all those things. But yeah, this is, in some ways, I'm sort of mid-career, and in other ways, yeah, this is something new for me in the sense that it's my first feature as director. Wow. Well, congratulations, because it's an amazing debut oh, feature. Thank you. It's stunning, in fact. I loved it. I think I think it's got so much heart and, uh, you know, trauma and loss, but yet mixed in with this dramatic tension. It was just just really cool. And the elements you brought to it were just fantastic. So let's let's talk about sort of creating a project like this. And let's talk about creating for, for you anything that you come up with. Where do your ideas come from? How do you start processing it? How do you start writing it and getting it together? Well, you know, d different projects come from different places. So, so this project yes. um, 
in some ways is unusual for me. Um, well, I, I don't know. Everything's different. But in this particular yeah. case, Adria was approached by a friend, uh, like a mutual friend named Patrick. And Patrick said, right. hey, you know, I know this younger actor who's written this great script. Do you think you could take a look at it and, and give him feedback? And, she, and you, you know, we've we, we both been in the industry long enough. It's like, you know, if, if I had a, a buck for every time someone's like, hey, can you read my script? And, you know, I'd be a rich man. Yes. But, yeah, 100%. Uh, and most of them are terrible. Let's just be, you know. Um, Let's and, be and honest. She, yeah. <laughs> and she took a look at it and thought it was really good. You know, like, it, like this is a really good script. And... Um, and then I met with, so this was Jason Kellerman, who, who, who's Jason also, Kellerman plays the lead he role plays in, the lead in, and wrote the, yeah. and wrote the script. And, um, and so then I ended up meeting with Jason and he and I, again, initially just sort of for, for script feedback and talking about the project generally, and just sort of some, for some advice. And we really hit it off. And he and his um, producing partner actually asked me to direct it. You know, they said, hey, would you be interested in actually coming on board this project? Um, uh, we have some money. And I said, uh, I really like to have some money thing. Really importantly for me, I loved the script. If I wasn't into the script, I wouldn't have wanted to do this in the first place. No, absolutely. But what a bonus. Someone goes, we'd like you to direct this. And actually, we've got some money. Well, it turned uh, out they did it. Right, right. Like, like, like this was initially, they're like, we had some money and then that money fell through. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yes, let's oh. do this. And then the money fell through and then it's, you, you, you know. Uh, that, that old trick. <laughs> <laughs> but then we did it. You know, then we were able to raise the money and, and get it made. Amazing. Well, by then you'd already been, you'd hooked into the project and the people Absolutely. involved. Jason seems like a great guy and a very talented uh, writer and actor. So I suppose by that point you were like, well, okay, I want to, do this now absolutely yes and, right. and in fact the what we had originally been talking about doing it at a meaningfully bigger budget level than we ended up doing it um but we just found ways to put it all on screen you know it's like okay we didn't have a ton of money but we had enough how did you manage to raise that kind of funds in the first place how did you manage to even go about raising it because that's difficult we actually ended up connecting up with another producer who has a background in finance and was really able to nice. bring a lot of people on board. So that made an enormous difference in, in terms – you know, it's interesting. At the point at which we sort of set out to do re the really, really serious uh, uh, – um, you know, financing, you know, like we, we shot like a little fake trailer and we had, you know, like uh, come out and meet the filmmakers dinner at a restaurant, you know, like very, you know, promotional things to try to drum up some interest mm. in it. But the whole process yeah. actually, once we started that until we were shooting was actually only a matter of months. But it, there was a lot of work that went up to get to that place where it's like, here's a prospectus and here's, you know, like here's stuff that has been really carefully crafted to be very attractive. And there were also, there were, um, there was some kind of, um, investment write-off thing in the state of Illinois that was due to end at the end of the calendar year. So there was a, so we were doing this in like, October, November, December kind of thing. So there was this real impetus for people to, to, to write checks because we said, well, you can get this tax write off if you invest before December 31st. There's a tax advantage to you doing it. And that, that made, <laughs> and again, you know, that's, you have to bring people on board who are, you know, like if you have finance people, then they go, oh, like there's all these write offs and the tax. So we always knew it was going to be taking place in the winter, which that was one of the reasons why the prep period was as short as it was.
but we knew it had to be the the winter. So um, because I teach, we uh, we know we figured okay, we have to shoot like three day weekends, and then we were going to shoot over my spring breaks, which meant all of the exteriors had to be shot early. So like January, February, kind you know that's that we front loaded all of the snowy exteriors because we knew at some point it was just not going to be there anymore. And we really lucked, well, lucked out. We had a polar vortex. So the, the, the winds were coming down from the North Pole and it was, uh, we had a wind chill of like minus 30 or something like that. It's very authentic looking, uh, the snow oh, and this, all, the breath and all. But, it, you know, we we're lucky nobody lost a toe. It was really cold and brutal. And it was, these were night exteriors in snow up to your knees. So I knew because we didn't have a big budget that, the look of the film is really going to be very dependent on um, location scouting. And mm-hmm. I wanted the film to feel gritty, realistic, um, and textured. So when we were scouting, I was really looking a lot for textures, you know, places that just had a, a visual texture to them. Um, yes. Uh, and I also knew that I wanted Hunter's World to be very desaturated. So I was uh, so uh-huh. so you see that in the like the costume design and the production design and um, so the the world itself so it's it's a desaturated world um, it's very textured we also shot from underneath right Hunt, like like mm. like literally Hunter is under right just throughout yeah. right it's a story about a person who's underneath right he's under bridges and under train tracks and under tall buildings and literally underground right because Chicago has those underground streets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, so where he's, you know, running down under, you know, what's called Lower Wacker, like these underground streets, right, that are just in the middle of downtown Chicago. So, so the sense of him being under things was very present in the, in the production design. And then, um, I knew I really wanted to play with the look of it a lot in post production. So we, like, like the color grade on this was the most extensive color grade I've ever, like by far. That I've ever been involved wow. in, we graded. For, sh- we graded for nine months. The color correction took nine oh, wow. months on this film. And um, how come? Why did it take so long? There's something like 2,400 shots in it. Um, so there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of shots to start with, and then yeah, it just took that much time to 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 get the look right. We were going for a very kind of extreme look. We were, you know, I shot it all with the Black Magic cameras, with the Black Magic Pocket Cinema, and then the first generation Cinema camera. Um, which shoot nice. raw, so we were able yep. to really, really, really beat the crap out of the image, right? Like because it, there was just so much information there, we were able to stretch mm-hmm. it and, um, you know, really give a distinct look to it. You know, because this film Hunter, you've got this wonderful sort of thriller esque feeling where um, it's just constantly building suspense. It's just edge of the seat, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum stuff. And it's wonderful. How did you build that wonderful suspense? What is it about that? How did you go about doing that to keep it on edge, to keep the rhythm? Because I think it's really hard to do. And I think it's vital for filmmakers to know that. That's a great question. You know, I'd say one of the things for me is that the the story itself is at least a little bit cross-genre. You know, I, I'd say, you know, when asked to describe it, I'll, you know, it's a thriller or supernatural thriller, or, you know, something like that is a way to explain it. But there's also like a strong um, sort of uh, relationship at the core of it. And yeah. there, there's mystery and there's um, sort of horrifying elements, although I, 
Uh, you know, I, I don't usually like calling it a horror film, although people have called it that. I don't think it is. I think it's, I think a thriller is probably the right thing to call it. If you have to pick a thing, you know, there's action sequences, yeah. right? There's, there's again, fighting. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't call it an action film, but I mean, we have one, two, three, four, five, Big action six, elements. Seven. we have like something like seven fights in it or something. And, and they're wonderfully done and very visceral and very in your face. Let's come back to action in a minute. Building the tension. For me, uh, there's a couple things that are really important. One of them is point of view is enormously important. So that when I'm thinking about how do I shoot it and cover it, I'm always thinking about whose eyes am I seeing the scene through. That was enormously important. You know, I don't want to give give too much away, but there's a scene with him in the alleyway, you know, with the trash cans and all of that. So much about that, to me, is withholding information. It's that we're seeing it through his eyes, and Hunter has an incomplete picture about what's happening there, but the pieces that he's getting are very scary pieces. Fear is slow, right? Fear is slow. Action is fast. Comedy is fast. Fear is very slow. Think about something like uh, The Shining, right? You know, The Shining is like the slowest freaking film, but, and almost nothing happens in The Shining, right? Like for most of The Shining, almost, but you're at the your edge of your seat, just terrified because you know it's coming. And so that's the kind of thing that I was trying to play with, with the scary moments, you know, in terms of building suspense and building fear is you know it's coming. It's got to be coming. Yes. Every, it's slowed down. We slow it down to know that the thread is there to put us in the eyes of the character. Um, and, and it, it's coming any moments. It, you know, what's, what's going to happen? You know, you build up that tension, you build up that tension. And, but you know, you have to be careful with that because you can build it up so much that the audience doesn't want it anymore. Right. Like, like you can easily go too far. It's like, okay, I'm done. Almost Dunkirk levels where it just kept going and going and going and going and that tension and ratching it up and oh my God, I'm going to explode. Yeah. You have to, I always feel like you have to. Whatever you're building, whether you're building sort of the, you know, an action intensity or, or fear or whatever it is, you have to give the audience breaks, right? You have to think about it as, all right, I'm going to build it up. And then we're having, you know, there's going to be a change, right? We're going to, it's like with musical rests, right? We, we, there have to be these moments where you give audience breaths. And I didn't know this when I was making the film. I just heard this recently, but some, there was a, uh, some scientist, you know, doing science stuff who, who, yeah. who, who is, like recording, you know, like doing eye, you know, like eye tracking stuff, you know, like where they're actually seeing where people are, are watching and like breath, you know, like actually trying to get... Where their the, eyes follow the screen. Yeah, right. Yes. But the actual physiological responses to watching movies and stuff. And her, her research was that people need breaks about every three minutes. That if, if you're like watching a fight scene or like really, really intense stuff... If you, if it lasts longer than about three minutes, again, I didn't, this is new. So I'm going to, I will use this piece of information in the next thing I, <laughs> I do, but yeah, this um, is great. But, but you know, like if you don't give them these little breaks, they tune out, right? They stop looking. They, they're, they wander, right? Like it's, it's, it's too much for them. You have to, it's like, okay, intense, intense, just a little bit. And then you, I, the break doesn't have to be big, but there has mm. to be some just like, okay, okay. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> you know, there's this little, you have to have those moments. So for example, in the beginning parts, the like the therapy sections with with Danny often serve that function, right? They they were doing character development for for Hunter, right? We're getting to know him and that relationship with Danny and all that stuff. But it was also little breaks from the tension that was building up, um, uh, you know, with him out in the world and the vampires and all that other stuff. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great. I think I think it's really important to build tension, but it, you've got to be very clever with it. And obviously a lot of that comes with the music and the way you edit it later. But I think it's definitely something to think about when you're making the film is how am I shooting this to get the right tension? Have I got enough in this one shot that would do it? Okay, then where's my other angle going to go? The, the, how's that building the tension to get to that moment? You know, um, the chase scenes and all that kind of stuff. I think it, it is really important to for directors to think about. So again, you had a really cool cast in this film. Really interesting up and comers. People have done some 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 really good work. So how did you go about getting your cast? How did you move forward on that side of it? And obviously, did that have any effect on getting the money? Um, no, no. The money and the casting were totally separate. Uh, other, okay. other than when we were financing it, we said we'd have at least we 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 said that Velakis, the main villain in it, would be you know somebody. In this case, we got Nick Cersei involved, you know, known for The Shape of Water, and I mean all of the you know he's yeah. been um, you know making Hollywood stuff for years and years. He was on a TV show um, when we made this, and uh, anyway, so Nick ended up being the one person that we sort of, when we were financing that, that that role would be filled by the sort of a recognizable person, but everybody else, uh, we cast out of Chicago. Chicago has an enormous wealth of, uh, acting talent. Adria, my wife was the casting director on it and she also was in it. Some people came in different places. Adria was able to bring in some people she knew, um, you know, just as part of the acting community here, but um, we just had a lot of auditions, and I think it's just incredible the cast we were able to put together. I mean, it's oh, really good. You know, people like Rachel Serder, obviously, who's in Chicago Fire, amazing. Yeah, really, really great cast. Ryan Kitley, um, yeah, obviously, Jason Kellerman, we've mentioned who wrote it. Lee Foster, Shannon Brown, so many really cool people. There's loads, I could list them all, and they really do well in the film. Is there anything specific you look for in castings from actors? Is there anything that you, you know, any tips to other directors that you think, yeah, what did I do something wrong? Did, what more could I have got out of them in that short, sometimes five to ten minute period? Well, you know, I've cast a lot of things over the years. Um... Uh, you know, I, I'd say for me, I'm looking for someone that if I was going to shoot tomorrow, I think they could do it. You know, I, I yeah. always feel like it's dangerous to cast somebody who's 75% of the way there with the hope that maybe with enough coaching I can get them there. Because mm -hmm. often we don't have time Maybe to I do can't. That. Maybe this is not going to, you know, like I want somebody who's 97% of the way there and I just need a little, yeah. you know, that last little. Like somebody like Rachel Serta, for example, when she came in. We knew instantly. I mean, literally, she, she opened her mouth and started speaking. We're like, oh, we're done. Like, there she is. Like, she was so... Really? Everybody, all of us in the room, we were like, yeah, and we're done. It, it's a really tricky role. And um, just she just... She got it. She walked in. She's, I think she's a star. I think Rachel is so Great. good in this film. Um, right. Yeah, she really is. And what do you think actors look for in a director, not in the casting room per se, on set? What do they want from a director in your mind? Well, I, I think it's important to give actors space to contribute, just to start with, right? To, to sort of recognize that they are co-artists creating this thing with us. And just to, I'm always interested, no matter what ideas I have in my mind, I'm interested in what they bring to the table. Because they're just focused on this one element, they'll come in and they will just have ideas that never occurred to me or I was thinking about something else. I'm like, oh, that's better or whatever. I know that like Nick Searcy, for example, when he came in, 
Um, we only had him on set for three days, right? He was only on right. set for a very short amount of time, but it was written that way, right? But, you know, Nick showed up just like just a pro with all kinds of ideas. And he's like, I have this thought. I want to do these things. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's see him. And I'm like, yes, all of, to all of them. Like all of his ideas were great and let's just do them all. Um, and, you know, I, so I always want people who are able to bring something to the table but also that take direction well, right? Like that aren't mm-hmm. so stuck in their own idea that if I want to push them in a different direction that they can't redirect into something else, right? So so it's that kind of flexibility. But I always want people who come have their own ideas and thoughts. And I think know. it's vital for actors to come to the table literally with their own take on it. And as much as you can guide them – I'll go try it a different way. And then they surprise you. You go, oh, they can do that way. Great. We've got now a real good option to find where we want it to be. But if they don't come to you with something, you're kind of going or saying, what do you want? You're like, no, no, please come. It's in the script. Find it. Right. Right. You're not a puppet. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're another artist co-creating this with me. And I want to make sure yeah. that we're all going the same place. Right. Like I feel like as a director, part of my job is to be like the captain of the ship, the navigator. Like we're going 100%. there. The island, we're going to that island over there. And then if we start going the wrong direction to, no, 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 not that, not that island, this island, this one, right? This is, we're going yeah. this way. Come back way. to the right island. Yeah. <laughs> that's there's, there's lovely pineapples and like, bananas. No, 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 not that one. Here. There's a heaven over there. Right. Yeah, it's lovely. But everybody, <laughs> but we're all doing it together. Everybody is contributing their own part. And I want to create space for that and make people feel valued to be able to contribute. While at the same time, like, we have to know where we're going. Like, like you know, that's my fi- – you know, okay, is it this or it's this? Well, it's that one because that's the one that's taking us in the right direction. You know, the, that – that, um, and, and that the same with actors. Like, I don't – I'm, I'm not a puppeteer. But the, my, the job isn't that I fill them with something. It's that they bring something to the table that then I can shape to make sure that it all matches and that it's fitting what we're doing. But, uh, you know yeah. – I always look, I mean, that's one of the things that's great, say, with my collaboration with Adria, you know, she and I have worked together on things for years and years and years. And I always wanted like, okay, what do you got? You know, like, and and she has lots and which is great, you know, like the, Mm. if I, if I had to tell an actor very, very little, that's better, you know, like, like, you know, like, because notes are often like, fix this, change this, you know, if I don't have to say anything, then that means we're already, everything's. We're already there. Yeah. Now we can just do tiny, minute things. Just, yeah. You can play then a little bit. Oh, yes, absolutely. As opposed to somebody who shows up and they're fundamentally miscast because they're not already there. And it's like, well, oh. oh gosh. Yeah. Now you've got a problem. Now you've got to spend so long trying to direct them into a place where it's somewhere near what you want. You've neglected often everything else that's in the room that you need to really concentrate on and and you can miss things it's vital um so but what do you think an actor actually wants from a director they've got to set now they've got the role what do they want from you uh in your mind well i think uh, you know i like having conversations with actors about um sort of the premise of the character and the character's sort of job and the story you know how they fit in and um, talking about what motivates them and, uh, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff, I think, is a really important conversation to have. Um, I also think it, as much as the impulse always is that direction tends to be about fixing the things that aren't working, I think it's also important that I am the fundamental audience to the actor, right? Like if they were doing a play, you have the audience there to give them feedback and let them know when it's going right so they can do more of that and that really fundamentally i am that person on the set 
where part of my job is I'm the audience. If it's funny, I, you know, I need to be letting them know that or, you know, whatever it is. Like that's part of my job is responding to the performance in that way. It's not just, can you make it faster or hit your mark? It's also, that's awesome, right? Like that, just like that. Like that's, it's hysterical. Let's, you know, like go further in that direction. More of that. And also actors are very different. Each one, you have to almost talk to them differently. Often actors will argue with you because they're feeling unconscious, uh, anxious about it. So they'll rather go down the small minute detail about a costume or about a certain line to deflect from the fact that they don't know what they're actually doing in this scene. And, and you as directors can get bogged down in that and suddenly be like, no, no, but the line has to be like this. And actually what they're really saying is, I'm really uncomfortable saying this or this right. whole, I don't want to be I need to be scene. reassured and know that I'm safe, right? Like that's some of it. Yeah. Like I just want to know that I'm safe. And if, a, if yes. the actors feel they're in a safe, supported environment, that's when you're going to get the good stuff. If they feel unsafe, unsure, insecure, then you're, it's it, like nothing good is going to come out of it. Absolutely. Great advice. Yeah, that's so true. Let's talk about the movie itself then. Let's talk about what it is about. So give us a quick pitch and I'll play the trailer. All right. So um, the the film is about Hunter, who um, had been a mixed martial arts fighter, who had something horrifying happen to his family, which has left him on the streets, homeless, um, with PTSD. And things enter his world that sort of bring him back into the supernatural things that he had fled um, a year ago, um, while at the same time he's staying at a homeless shelter where he meets Danny, um, who is a graduate student therapist, um, and she helps him start to deal with those inner demons um, as he is sort of dealing with the external ones. You know that there were over 700 murders last year in Chicago? So sorry about your husband. I'm Danielle. What's your name? Hunter. How long have you been on the street? Ten months. Two weeks. Five days. Do you um, ever hear voices or see things other people can't? We have a little surprise for you. Your past. I don't want to talk about this. What? That you hurt them? You're a dangerous man. What did you say your name was? Yeah, you used to be a fighter. We kill because we have needs. You think you're the only one who's ever lost him? You are a fighter. Predator or prey, that is life.
excellent. And that's the trailer and it's fantastic. It sounds so good. It looks so good. Do click and watch that and understand what we're talking about. Let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room, which is the vampire element of this. You did talk about it, touched on it earlier. And the fact that you kept this secret from many people for a while and didn't want to say this is a vampire film, even though technically it is and there's so many great vampire moments. It's, and it's... Let's talk about why you wanted to keep it secret in a way. Let's talk about the brilliantness of making a vampire film as well. So let's start off with why it was a secret, why you wanted to to not talk about it that way. Well, you know, in some ways, that's something that evolved over time. When we got into the edit, one of the things that became clear, I think, was if we reveal early on that you know the bad guys are vampires then it breaks a lot of things that happen structurally we we essentially discovered that we had to make it a secret when we were writing it and shooting it there was always a degree of ambiguity around that you know like how you know what do we know what do we not know the flashbacks with hunter um were always you know he's a bit of an unreliable narrator you know, like because sure. because he's yeah. got PTSD and, and and sort of questions these events himself. But it became clear, like for example, in the early sort of PTSD um, incidents, if we showed fangs or sort of revealed it, um, mm. we 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 were just giving it away, right? Like there, you just yeah. sort of removed yeah, yeah. all of the mystery and and suspense of it. The, the scene where the vampires have brought a a young woman home with them and all of that, as shot. That scene is not a lot longer, but it's a little longer, and it, it you know it sort of ends uh, uh, you know with like there it is, and they bite her and stuff. But what we realized was this is actually much more interesting for that to happen off screen. You know, like it's much more interesting. Yeah, because you don't know what is going on. Then your your mind's going, what they're doing? Is it you know they're attacking her? What is happening? It's it's much better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's again what we were talking about before is building that suspense, keeping your audience interested. Less is more. Less is more. It becomes what what am I telling you? When am I telling it to you? And there are some ways in which the vampires and hunter are a direct reaction against sparkly vampires. Or, you know, Buffy the Vampire. You know, like Hunter is sort of the opposite of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They're not sort of a romantic thing, right? Nobody watches these guys and are like, oh, I really wish I was one of those vampires. Like that's, they're, they're brutal killers. That restructuring had to happen, but it only made it better. Yeah, it's fascinating that, isn't it? How we, as the director, producer, writers, or editors, know what the story is. We know what we're trying to say but we're trying to hide things from the audience, but we're going, but I know the answer. So am I giving too much away? And often our first cut is we'll take it all out because we think, well, it's so obvious. It's obvious. It's obvious what's happening. And then you've got to slowly tease it back in. So it's like, is it obvious? Is it not? Is, and that's really hard. God, I don't know how you did it, but you did it really well in the end. I mean, yeah. Well, in fact, my instinct broadly is write and shoot more exposition than you necessarily think you're going to need in the edit. Right, it's always easier to make stuff go away than it is to create stuff out of thin air. <laughs> sure, um, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's always hard to tell, right? Like there, there's stuff on the page that you end up writing dialogue that says something that then you look at in the cut and you're like, well, that's totally unnecessary because I can just look at the people and what they're wearing and where they're standing and know that they're totally. rich or that whatever, right? Like I don't need yeah. to say, oh, look at these rich people. I can. They just are rich people. But as filmmakers, we hope we're not giving too much away because the dare 
my film is it does have those little twists. It's not massive, but they are there. And I'm trying not to let the audience know until they... And the amount of test screens I've gone, when did you know? Some people go, I got it straight away. Other people go, I didn't get it at all until that moment. And everyone's different. You can't please everyone. You can't get everyone to get your twists. And everyone is trying to find out what the twists are anyway. You know, you watch an M. Night Shyamalan film and you kind of go in, what's the twist? What's I reckon it's that. I reckon it's that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, if you do it well, you you know the show, as much as it is like the most formula of all formulas, though the twists well is um, like Law and Order, like the Law, like SVU or whatever, because they know that you're looking for the twist and they know that you know their formula is it's, you know, it's like, okay, it's not going to be the first person because, right, it's not, but it's going to be one of these people or it's going to be some twist. Because you've seen it so many times, they'll do a big red herring and they'll go, it's not going to be the first person. In the end, it comes it's all totally the way the back first and it's person. the first person. Oh, yeah, person. totally. <laughs> so I know with Hunter, there are things that are structurally setting up that they're vampires, that if you're paying yeah. attention and trying to guess what their deal is, you you know, vampires are certainly on the list somewhere of things they might be. Absolutely. But is this not, did you not want to sell this as a vampire movie? And I mean that in a sense that there is a brilliant vampire fan base out there who are searching for vampire movies, the latest one, who would love this. But because you're not selling it as a vampire movie, they might not find it. And obviously you're, uh, sales uh, agents, I think it's random media, is it distributors? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're the distributors, yeah. Would they not want to put it on the back or put it into the tags, you know, uh, uh, this is a vampire movie as well as an action and a thriller? I know, you know? like that, it's, that's... It's one thing hiding it, but you've got to sell the movie oh, and people I have got know. to see it. it. It has been the bane of our existence. That, that, I mean, that, <laughs> the, the question that you are at, that's the question. That's been the question when we made the trailer. That's been the I mean, like, you know, we tried to not... Talk about it, let's say, in the DVD box or, uh, you know, in the trailer or whatever. But then, you know, as soon as reviews started coming out, all you know, and They're here's the vampire it. movie. I'm like, well, okay. And therefore you get a different audience. I'm, I, it's fascinating how your uh, distributors were okay with not putting vampire on the DVD. You know, they could have insisted on saying, this is a vampire movie. We're selling. We're going to put fangs on your lead guy on the poster on the well, front. Well, well, actually what they did um, demand was blood on Nick Cersei's face on the, on on the, the key art. Yeah, the key his, art. Like, yeah. like on the poster, like there he is. So I think that's that's the compromise. <laughs> mm. You know, that, that's, that's the compromise. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the selling of the movie then, because you did have... You know, random media has got out there in the world. I had heard about it and contacted you and said, man, I've watched your movie. It's cool. Let's talk on the podcast and tell me how you made it. How did you actually get it out there? How did you manage to get distributors on board and do all your deliverables and get it, you know, finished? How did you get that done? You know, we finished the film in the spring of last year and then it, it did a festival run. You know, so it played Manhattan Film Festival, you know, like horror film festivals and, you know, won a bunch of awards and things. And you just, just submitted that yourself and submitted just... Submitted that ourselves. Yeah, we, yeah. we submitted to a bunch of different places and... Um, was that woven into your budget in the first place? Was it something that you said, yeah, let's keep a bit behind it, Well, it was, it was woven into the budget, although I think probably by the point we got there, that money had been spent on something else. <laughs> At that point, it essentially came out of the producer's pockets. I think that's probably where that money came from. Um, uh, you know you do what you got to do but anyway so so we did that and as a result of that process um random we we actually spoke to a number of different distributors but random media um approached us i think after the manhattan film festival which is where we premiered you know like i said we talked to a bunch of different people but they had a deal that we thought 
um, would work for us. And, you know, it's out in the world now, which is pretty awesome. That's great. So just from you doing something to a festival, someone saw it there, they heard about it, and they contacted you and said, yeah, we'd like to rep it. That's, that's really great. We'd like to sell it for you and get it around the world. But we, but we approach man. places, I mean, to, you know, like we, we sent, you know, letters to distributors and, and things like that. Of course, too, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was all done sort of in-house, right, with the producers. I think a movie like this is going to find a home because, for one thing, it's great and brilliantly shot and acted and directed. But it's got that ability to say, oh, yeah, we can make money from this. It, this has got a place in the home market, the, the vampire market. Uh, you know, maybe in the next step is to say, cool, now it's the vampire film. It doesn't matter anymore. But also, I suppose the other side of that, and I meant to touch on it earlier, is when people find this film and they don't know it's a vampire film, they have that wonderful moment of going, oh, wow, okay, cool, which is kind of what I did. So, like you say, by giving that away beforehand is, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one how to sell your movie. How do you sell it as a an out-and-out, out, you know, thriller? Do you sell it as a drama that no one might want to see, you know? Um, and it is interesting what sales and disputes will put on the poster or on the DVD package to... You know, that you know, that's saying, Oh, it's the raid meets Pirates of the Caribbean and you're like, What? You know what I mean? And it's just to sell something, it's nowhere near that. And then people blame the director as if it's their fault. Oh, oh yes, yeah. Absolutely. It's like I you know, I'm I made the film, we, we you know, we worked on this thing for ages and then yeah, it goes out into the world and you know, I'm seeing the poster, I'm going, Is that is that the is that how we wanna sell this? Is that you know, but yeah. I, I'm expressing opinions and no one cares really and uh, no that's it (laughs) you know you've just got to accept sometimes that you know the disputes and sales are just going to go yeah cheers thanks very much we don't care what you think we yeah we'll listen to you but we're going to sell this how we want because we've done this all our whole lives we know how movies sell it's really tough it's almost heartbreaking in a way before we wrap up if you could give some tips advice for filmmakers out there who are who are making a wonderful thrilling uh action vampire-led, <laughs> cage-fighting, uh, dark, emotional, uh, trauma, homelessness, <laughs> uh, massively building some suspense film, what would it be? <laughs> Pick one. No. Uh... All of them, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it is a cross-genre film. In some ways, made it har- makes it harder to program in festivals and pro, you know, like it, it, in some ways it's tricky yeah. because it's like, is it's not really a horror film. And spite, it's not horror. So yeah. In spite of the fact that all the horror out. film festivals loved it mm-hmm. and were giving us a, a war, you know, best horror feature. And I'm like, I mean, I'll take it. Oh, I'm totally going to take your award. Like I was actually worried uh, yes. that because this is, you know, being pitched in those kind of ways, the people are like, Oh, that wasn't a horror film. Like, Mm. yeah, you know, because Uh. people have certain expectations. I'm like, no, it's something. I mean, there are horrifying elements in it. It is a scary film, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's as a genre. It's not like, oh, there's a monster chasing people around, picking them off. And I think people are, I think these days people, because there's so much cross genre that didn't happen as much before. I do think people's minds have opened up, especially the big horror fans. They're sort of gone. Yeah, I like that, but it wasn't totally horror for me but it, it you know i enjoyed it and i think that's a rather than going oh it wasn't horror you're, you're all morons you know it's well it's, but you know i think the horror fans really <laughs> like it because it is scary like I, I feel like like there's we've actually gotten a lot of love from the horror fans i think that, that you right. know just in terms of 
tapping into existing fan bases, I think that's one of the ones who's really been embracing the film, which is awesome. So would you say that was, uh, uh, you know, something to think about your genre when, you know, going out there to make a film is to go, who are we making this for and what genre? Oh, you have to. You, you always have to be thinking about the audience, right? I'm not making the film for myself. Right. Like, like that, you know, like I always have to be thinking about who's now it doesn't mean, I don't know, pan, I shouldn't be pandering to the audience or whatever, but, but to think in terms of, especially at a, when you're making a, a film at a low budget, just say, are there existing fan bases that this can connect into? You know, mm. are, are there groups of people, you know, part of why Star Wars was popular besides everything else originally was, they real in the marketing they super reached out to science fiction fans right like, like all the the you know the sort of 1970s existing science fiction people are like oh there's a big sci-fi movie coming out you all have to come see it and they hyped it to this existing fan base who loved it and then it spread to everybody else too but like there that's why there yeah. was lo- people were waiting in line opening weekend for that movie because mm. they'd hyped the people who already liked that kind of thing so yes making something that has an existing you know that that can feed into existing fan bases, whatever that is, right? There are fans for comedies, there's fans for uh, action movies, and you know, but having at least some sense of that, um, I think can be helpful. And for us, we definitely were connecting into the, the horror fandom, into the horror film festivals, you know, all of that kind of stuff, in spite of being probably horror adjacent, you know, yes. r- rather than, you know, there's absolutely scary moments. There is blood in this film. There are people being killed in this. You know, like absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I also don't think it's a, a sort of a traditional horror film in the ways that we usually define the genre. No, absolutely, absolutely. But what you have done is made a brilliant film, and it's really entertaining, and it crosses genres, which I like, and I think you've done really well. So, congratulations. So where can people watch the film? Do you want to tell everyone where they can go find it? Um, so it's available on iTunes and on Amazon and Google Play and the Microsoft Xbox Store and Redbox and all of the places you can find streaming video. There's also a DVD out there um, that you can find. Um, I know it's on uh, Redboxes here. You can get it on Amazon. I know they're selling it at Walmart. They are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is great absolutely nice to you know walmart walmart is apparently the number DVD. one seller of dvds in the united states so there it you is go. yeah and where can people follow you yourself on the socials uh sure so the the website for the film is hunterfilmchicago.com you can go there and find links to watch it various places and as for me um uh, my home website is davidtarleton.com d-a-v-i-d-t-a-r-l-e-t-o-n.com and i'm on twitter as david underscore tarleton marvelous do go follow him give him some support tell him you you listen to his podcast and if you do watch the film give him a good review uh you can follow me at Giles Alderson you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod and do remember if you like this podcast pass it on tell your friends because that's the best way to get the word out about this podcast Uh, David thank you so much for your time really appreciate it it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for having me on pleasure is all mine so uh, yeah remember if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send that elevator back down till next time do go out there and make your film do do it collaborate get those amazing people around you and make your film Uh, until next time we will see you next Tuesday take care bye bye